At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Steve Grasso, Brian Kelly, Jeff Mills, and Nadine Terman, CEO of Solstein Capital. Tonight on Fast, the chart master is out with a big warning on the banks. Carter Worth says it is time to fade the financials. He'll tell us why straight ahead. Plus, Palantir popping, the stock breaking out today, and one of our traders says this run is just getting started. And later, it's a 5-5-5 deal. Five stocks getting nearly a fifth in value in just five days. We'll bring you the names and how to trade them. But we start tonight with a look at the big wave of bank earnings. It is officially earnings season, and it's off to a rocky start. Wells Fargo City, J.P. Morgan all finishing the day in the red. After reporting results, J.P. Morgan posting a beat. City mix, Wells Fargo. That was a miss, and we're just getting started. Bank of America, Goldman Sachs on deck to report next week. So given today's action, is there more pain coming for the financials? Jeff Mills, let's use the example of J.P. Morgan. It was a good quarter. The stock was up 36 percent in the three months going into the quarter, though. Is that the problem with the banks at this point? Yeah, I think that's clearly the problem. There was nothing wrong with their earnings necessarily, but the stocks have just run up so much before earnings season. I think any type of blemish is going to drive the prices lower. And I should start off by saying that we're still in this cyclical trade. We're still in this value trade. So I do like the banks for the the totality of 2021. But I think near term, there are just some concerns. One on the rate side, uh, you know, the positioning is unwound a little bit, but you had net short positioning and long bonds really extreme later in the fall. So um, I think if that moved to the other side of the boat at all, if you see any issues with stimulus being rolled out or the vaccine or just fundamental economic data in general, that positioning change could weigh on rates some. And with banks, you know, 40% above their 200-day moving average, any type of issue, whether it's with rates or whether it's with earnings, that can drive the prices lower. And Carter will probably talk about this a little bit later, but you're bumping up against that $46 level on the KBE. That was resistance pretty much for all of 2019. So we'll see what happens there. I would use that level uh, as guidance for momentum upward or downward. But longer term in 2021, I think fundamentals are supportive. Um, and, and generally speaking, the street is still negative on banks. If you look at the 24 S&P industry groups, Banks have the lowest percentage of buy ratings. So I think there's room for multiples to be re-rate. I think it's a decent environment for credit. You have dividends and buybacks starting back up. So again, we are still in that trade, but I think you could have some, ter- some turmoil near term. I mean, uncertainty about yields. Jamie Dimon today, Nadine, was talking about how there is near-term significant uncertainty when it comes to the economy, although by summer he is hoping that things will turn around significantly. What do you make of that commentary and how do you extrapolate that? You know, I like to fade that commentary. You saw that they had loans increased by 15 billion and deposits by 582 billion. If you look at PNC, one of the, call it the fifth, sixth largest bank, they only have deposits of 350 billion. So I like this type of trade to fade the news today and get into something like JP Morgan. With the extra stimulus, you're gonna see those deposits go up. And if there's any type of loans going out to the corporate or consumers, uh, these things are going to pop higher. So so I would fade the news. 
I mean, let's hope so. We saw retail sales numbers come in grasso, disappointing for the month of December, revised downward for the month of November. Um, Do you like the banks here? Yeah, I I think I I think well, I I think uh, both uh, Nadine and Mr. Mills just described a very bullish uh, or a bullish scenario. And I think Jeff was sort of let's wait and see. It'll be a little bit rocky. But people are not used to being able to buy the banks since the beginning of the Trump administration. And I think that's because they are not in a rising rate environment and there was a lid pressed on rates. Rates have gone up, Melissa. Uh, uh, let's look at the break evens. They're at a two year high. If you look at the two year, 10 year uh, spread, that's widened out by about 150% since the August bottom on that spread. But getting back to the technicals, as Jeff said, the XLF, I'll pick that uh, index, the XLF is butting up against the 31 level. That's been resistant since uh, in 07, I should say, in 2018 and in, 2000, in 2020. So that could be a little bit of a blip, but I think we're going to actually break through it this time. I, the, the banks have not seen a rising rate environment, nor have investors. That is the um, elephant in the room, the 800-pound gorilla in the room, however you want to uh, give the analogy to it. Rates are the biggest thing that will affect banks. I think that Nadine hit it. J.P. Morgan made more money in the fourth quarter than it ever has before. Let's focus on profitability. Mm -hmm. Let's focus on a rising rate environment. I think banks, this will be a blip and they'll get right back on the horse and move higher. Let's say, though, that rates don't really rise beyond what they've uh, achieved so far this year, Brian Kelly. I'm curious because, you know, when J.P. Morgan, and, and we're just using J.P. Morgan as an example here, but it started its run in October, which is about when all the bank stocks started their runs. And, and you know, back at the end of the year, rates were only at, what, 0.97%, 0.96% or so. So it is a different environment here. So do we need a continued steepening of the yield curve or can we have the yield curve where it has been over the past two months on average, let's say, in order for banks to continue their run? Well, so I think that if you have a yield curve that stays right where it is, then banks should do okay. But I I think the chances of the yield curve staying as steep as, as it is right now uh, are lower. So, I mean, you know, I'm talking about a short to medium ter- term trade. Let's talk about three weeks to three months. That's what I mean by that. So what's going to happen? We've already had the rate rise for what it is for right now. Now we're looking at, you know, potentially unemployment getting worse, potentially higher unemployment claims. JP Morgan told you today, listen, you know, the economy is going to be weak here for a bit. So what is left in this bank trade? Everything has been priced in. As you pointed out, it's been trading up since October. So at the very least, I think you get some period of pullback. And then the question becomes over the next three weeks to three months is how well does the economy respond? Do we get enough vaccines out? Does the uh, UK, the South Africa, the Brazilian strain cause more shutdowns? These are all unknowns. And with stocks, banks that have already ripped up so much, and as Carter Worth will tell you likely, that are at a resistance level, why would you buy the banks here? It makes no sense to me. So if you, if you are a believer that yields won't go too much higher than what we've seen so far in this young year, Nadine, we shouldn't bother with banks, should we? And if you're going to, if it's entirely a bet on the treasury market, bet on treasuries, not banks. 
-hmm. We've got to bet on both. I think that, well, number one, yields are going higher. But even if you thought they were flat, you have to buy these before yields are rising again. And once it's gone up and there's perfect information about the economy reopening and the path of the um, the rollout of the vaccines, it's too late. And so in my mind, it's under-owned here in the U.S. It's under-owned in Europe and in Asia. So we have plays around the world long in financials. And at the same time, I agree with you, Melissa, you can short the TLT, you can short the EDV, you can go short the other way and make money both sides of those trades. So um, I'm more of a believer on the opposite side. All right. Well, the chart master isn't too surprised by today's bank action. He sees more downside ahead. Cornerstone Macro's Carter Worth is here to break it all down. So, Carter, what do you see? Well, you guys sure covered it and well, uh, talking about levels and uh, the reasons why. Let's look at three uh, ETFs, all financial, and they're highly correlated, and yet their constituents are so different, it begs the question, why are they all behaving the same? So here is the big one, XLF, first chart. And... Um, Grasso and others spoke of, you know, we're back to a former high. It's not about whether it goes higher. It's the principle of when you first get back to a well-defined peak, what typically happens, whether it's a semi-stock, gold, or a bank ETF. And what typically happens is you back away rather than breaking out. And there's a reason for that, because the people who lost money, from December, have had their money returned to them. So it's what overhead supply is. You've returned to a difficult level. Second chart, also XLF. Now, again, this is 66 stocks, but Berkshire and JP Morgan are 25% weight. I've drawn the lines a different way to try to annotate or highlight the overhead supply. And it's not random that it is stopped to the penny at that level. Third chart, it's also the XLF, the big one, the sector, all financials from insurance to banks to regionals, uh, property casually. And it is a double top. And this is where you back away. Now, is backing and filling the same as backing away? Yes, because what are they both? They're not higher. So whether you do back away substantially, we backed away a bit today, or you back and fill, it's the principle that you've returned to a difficult level. Okay, two more. Now, this is the KRE. The KRE is 130 stocks. It's regional banks. There is no J.P. Morgan, no City, no Wells Fargo, no Berkshire, and yet it's the exact same pattern. The biggest weighting here is 4%. The one we were just looking at, 25% in two stocks. And yet it's the same principle. You get to a former high. Before you can exceed a high, you typically will contend with it. Final chart. This is an ETF. It's the Invesco KBW uh, index, and it's weighted to the five big names, 8% each. So Wells, 8%, Citi, 8%, J.P. Morgan, U.S. Bancorp. Um, it's the same chart. The point is, is it buy the rumor, sell the news? Was it all priced in and they're backing away? Sometimes it's just about a technical level, not about the price to book, not about interest rates. We return to a difficult level, and the banks found difficulty today. All right, Carter, thank you. We will see you in a little bit for Options Action. In the meantime, Let's trade Carter's uh, take on the bank's grass. I'll go to you since you are our uh, resident technical analyst here. What did you make of the charts here? And, and are there those specific individual names within the XLF or the KRE that you would still bet on? Yeah, so, so uh, everything that Carter said, I agree with 100%, other than the fact that I think we've backed away a couple of times. And if you extend that chart out on the XLF and particularly, you can look back to 07, so then it not only makes it a double top, 
it could be a triple or quadruple top, and those don't exist in technical anal uh, analysis. So when you look at these things, I think that people, as I said before, worried about the market backing off, worried about rates backing off, worried about the banks. But the truth is the yield curve is the most important thing for the banks. And let's not forget this, Melissa, the growth to value switch rotation, mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it. The banks are in the bullseye of that. So if that gains even more traction, which it will, if inflation starts to rise even more, we've seen the stimulus, there'll be more, inflation will rise even more from now, these banks will move higher. Last point, JP Morgan is above the pre-COVID level. Now the other banks are having some trouble getting there, but if there is one to bank on, pardon the pun, JP Morgan would be that one, and I think it's always a crowd favorite, crowd pleaser, and everyone, including our own Karen Feinerman, loves J.P. Morgan's Jamie Dimon. You're saving that pun. I mean, it, you saved it for 12 minutes, but you finally got it out there, Grasso, and nobody, <laughs> nobody left. Uh, coming up, it is uh, High Flyer Friday. Check out the big gains in these names just this week alone. Should you ride this rally, we've got a classic game of Traded or Fade It coming up, and later some stealthy gains. The headline that sent shares of this stock soaring. Fast Money's back in two. Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out the monster moves from Bed Bath & Beyond, Virgin Galactic, Beyond Meat, and Wayfair just this week. So since it's Friday and we're gearing up for a long weekend, we thought it'd be a great time to play a little game of... Trade it or fade it! I know the suspense is killing you on that. Um, that's right. Trade it or fade it. Move over baseball. This is America's favorite pastime as of right now. <laughs> so let's kick things off with Bed Bath & Beyond rallying 35% this week. Brian Kelly... Trade it or fade it? So typically, an asset's up that's up this much. BK wants to fade it. But in this case, I'll actually trade it. And I'll tell you why. It's not necessarily because the fundamentals are so good behind this. But you've got a couple different things going on. You've got, number one, they've hired a new marketing team. Number two, analysts have already downgraded earnings. So the bad news is in it. And number three, you have a short squeeze potential 
in this, something that Jim Cramer mentioned. So between those two things, you don't have to kind of look through any of the fundamentals and say, we had some, you know, we have bad news in the sense that earnings downgrades. Uh, we have a short squeeze coming. Bad news, good price action makes BK want to buy, so it's a trade. Hmm, that short squeeze thing, you know, we saw the power of the short squeeze in GameStop this week, Jeff Mills. What's your take on, on Bed Bath & Beyond? Yeah, there's no doubt that's a possibility here. I think 67% of the stocks are sold short. So um, that is in play. And I agree with BK in, in a lot of cases. You know, digital sales are improving. But I do think it's a store that's still reliant on foot traffic. Management has come in and, and they've done some good things. You've seen comp store sales up for two quarters in a row. Um, so that's positive. But overall, revenue still remains under pressure. And I think the one thing that's helped the stock lately is you've had margin expansion because you've had this product mix where people are now buying a lot of higher priced goods and home furnishing or cooking related products. So I wonder when the momentum from the pandemic starts to fade and that product mix goes back to what might be considered normal, whether you have a little bit of margin compression, that's what concerns me longer term about the stock. So for mm. me, it's a fade here. All right, let's move on to Virgin Galactic. That was up 21% since Monday. So Steve, you've been on this one for a long time. At this point, given the run, trade it or fade it? I'm still a traded on this one because I'm still involved. Um, I bought this stock at around $15. I bought it in, in, in the teenager uh, stage of its life. Definitely this week was about ARK investments and, and, and about the ETF. I misspoke on Wednesday. It's Virgin Orbit that has its test flight tomorrow. So we'll have to wait for Virgin Galactic sometime in February. When that test flight comes, Melissa, and it is successful and it will be, I have no doubt of that. This stock will rip and it will eclipse the most recent highs and that'll be in the 40s. So I'm still a traded on this one. And Steve, you know, I don't disagree with you on the maybe intermediate term, but our technicals are saying it's two and a half downside to upside. So for us on a short term basis, we're a faded, um, but I got to agree with you on ESG management positive. Uh, but right now, in terms of valuation, I would love something like Orsted, Siemens, even something like Lockheed if we got to trade aerospace uh, and defense type of businesses. So, so I'm a fade it. All right. Wayfair, that was up 16% this week. Jeff, trade it or fade it? Yeah, for me, this is going to be a trade. You know, I, I think that they have a lot of good things going on. They've actually overtaken Amazon as the biggest e-commerce site for furniture. They've done a lot of heavy investment in technology, logistics. Wayfair is similar to Bed Bath & Beyond in that the, the momentum from the pandemic will subside, but they don't have that same product mix issue in terms of margin compression. So I think they're pretty well positioned for what I see as a more permanent shift in the way people shop for home furnishings. Uh, and the consumer is also in decent, decent shape. I know unemployment is still an issue, but you've had spending come down. You've had incomes come up. So I think there's actually a lot of dry powder, especially considering the additional, additional stimulus that's likely coming down the pike. So I'm going to trade it here. Melissa, I hate to be the negative one, but I have to disagree with Jeff. I, I'm a fade it. Uh, you know, they have been the beneficiary during the pandemic. But what we see is a lot of the competition has taken their eyes off the ball. When they start focusing on the 8 million SKUs that they've got, uh, we see margin pressure. They also came out and announced in the last week a $15 minimum wage. My heart says I love that because I think it's good for the part-time, the full-time, the seasonal workers. But when you're talking about margins and owning a stock, 
that's not that great for the margins and, and what you're looking for to be accelerating on a top line and accelerating on a bottom line. Just not going to happen. All right. Uh, and let's get to Beyond Meat here. Sizzling almost 19 percent higher this week. Uh, Brian Kelly, trade it or fade it. Oh, it's definitely a trade on that Taco Bell news. I mean, come on. I mean, that stock was up 15% or so just on the fact that Taco Bell is going to be, they're going to be doing a partnership with them. So I, I actually really like this fake meat space. Not only do I actually like fake meat, I'm more of an impossible burger guy, but that's time for a different show. But nonetheless, I think there's a lot more to come from this company. They're expanding. They just opened a brand new uh, headquarters in L.A. or signed a lease for that. The company is seeing the demand pick up. I think you're going to see it in the stock. I so, BK, it's almost for- dinner time, but I will, I will not be eating fake meat here. Uh, I, just, I just can't get behind the valuation. Uh, I think for a while, restaurant demand is probably still going to be a headwind. I think some of the positives are that there, there's a lot of room for expansion in international markets. I think about 80% of their revenues in the U.S., but they're going to need to rapidly expand internationally to, to justify the valuation in terms of the current price. Um, I think that those are some of the potential positives, but I think a lot has to go right uh, where it is right now. So it's a fade for me. All right. This is true Peter Lynch sort of uh, model of investing with Beyond Meat here. Coming up, the big headline that sent shares of Palantir popping today, what it is and why one of our traders says you don't want to miss out on this one. And later, we're powering up your portfolio with a bet that could bring you some electrifying gains. That's a clue. All that much more in Fast Money Returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Palantir popping uh, today on reports that Kathy Wood's ARK Invest bought nearly half a million shares of the stock for its next-gen ETF. Palantir up more than 260% since its market debut at the end of September. Jeff, what do you think of this one? Yeah, so I understand buying it. Um, If you look at 2021, I think revenues are supposed to grow over 30%. And we're in this world where investors are still looking for growth. I just think they're going to be looking for it outside of your usual suspects, your usual tech, your usual fang names. Um, And here you have a a company with a really high quality product. Um, The switching costs are high, so it is very sticky. I just think the question is what price you get in. If you look at the chart, it's failed at that 28.29 level about three times. So I would use that level again as an indication of momentum upward or downward, at least in the near term. And I think there are some stumbling blocks, Mm -hmm. say, over the next six to eight months. You have the six-month lockup expiring. Um, There is a risk of a reprioritization of some government budgets, and that could affect their contracts. So for me, it's a long-term buy. I just think you might be able to get it at a lower price. Quickly, Beeks. Is this one of those, what, yeah, put it in well, your top drawer kind of stocks, leave it alone <laughs> for a long time, revisit it down the road? Yeah, a top shelf stock, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, knowing, knowing the investing genius of Kathy Wood, I think that's exactly what she's thinking as well. So, you know, if you're going to buy this, understand why, what the time frame is. It's a long-term buy, put it in your top shelf, you're going to be happy with it. All right, time for the final trades. Go around the horn, Jeff Mills. So this is another thematic play for me. It's Illumina. They are the global leader in DNA sequencing. They have about a 70% share of the market. Not a lot of great alternatives. I-L-M-N. Nadine Terman. Let's go with Equinix. It's in the REIT space, which is a negative, but on the positive side, it's a data center business that's global. It's pulled back a bit. So we've been an owner since 2013 and, and would fade this news. Steve Grasso. Steve Grasso. 
BFT. It's the most excited I've been about a stock in a long time. I'm looking for a triple, and I think I'm going to get it. BFT. Triple. Wow. Brian Kelly. I've learned two things in my career on Wall Street. You don't fight the Fed, and you don't ignore what Carter Worth has to say. I think the Fed keeps rates low, and Carter Worth says sell XLF. I do, too. All right. That does it for us here on Fast Money. Don't move. We've got a huge options action up next. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.